I believe what I believe, and it makes me who I am. I did not make it. Lord, it is making me. It is the very invention of God. It, it is the very truth of God, not the invention of any man. I believe what I believe, and what I believe is making me, is what Rich Mullins wrote. Some people say, I don't really care what you believe. I just want to see what you do. And well, I guess that's okay, but the problem is you, you do just what you believe. And that's why we talk a lot about our identity in Christ because how we see ourselves determines our behavior in, in a lot of different ways. So the Apostles' Creed and, and a statement of what we believe is an important thing. When we stand at the end of this service and repeat the Apostles' Creed, we are doing a counter-cultural thing. Now, we don't really get how counter-cultural it is because we're within the body of Christ and, and we got a lot of Christian friends and we all kind of here believe the same thing. But in the whole world, when we stand and say something like, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, that is a counter-cultural thing. It is a statement of rebellion. It is a statement that I will not go along with the status quo. And those kind of statements of faith are important we said in this seven-week series that we're not preaching the Apostles' Creed because the Apostles' Creed in and of itself is, is not a whole lot of life in it, only that it reflects what is in Scripture already. It's nothing to preach the uh, Apostles' Creed, it's, but the Apostles' Creed reflects Scripture. And we tried to compare that to the fact that the moon has no light of its own. It just reflects the light of the sun. And the Apostles' Creed has no light of its own. It reflects the light of Scripture. So even though we're preaching the Apostles' Creed, we're preaching Scripture because that's where the Apostles' Creed is taken from. And may I say, any time that anyone, me or anyone else, starts preaching something other than God's Word from this pulpit, it's time for you to leave this church because that's the only thing that sets you free. My opinion about things doesn't matter. My opinions won't set you free. It's the truth of God's word that sets you free. And I only authority that I have when I stand behind this pulpit is the authority that I have in preaching God's word. So uh, that's really, really important to understand. Um, we have said, um, we have preached so far two messages and we preach eight words of the Apostles' Creed. I've got to speed up, speed up sooner or later or we're going to be here forever, right? But um, I believe in God was the, uh, two weeks ago and we, we said, hey, what's it mean to, when you say the word G-O-D? And there's a lot of people have a lot of different meanings of the word G-O-D. And what does Scripture mean when it uses the word God? And we could preach a whole series of sermons on that, but I choose to preach that Sunday on the eternality of God, the, the fact that God had no beginning and no ending, the fact that God is beyond time, that God is the Alpha and Omega. God didn't um, uh, just kind of come and involve himself. You can't teach God anything. God knows it all, and, and he is absolutely eternal. And we said that someone cannot give you eternal life unless they're an eternal being in and of themselves. And we talked that week on the implications, and there's lots of them, on the fact that God is an eternal being with no start, no finish, self-existent, beyond time, and that's the eternality of God. And then last week we went to, I believe in God, the Father Almighty. And uh, you see the Apostle Paul, uh, excuse me, the Apostle's Creed starts to define God. I believe in God, the 
Father Almighty. And we talked about that little phrase, Father Almighty. And it's an unbelievably important definition of God. It, it, in two words, it wraps up a lot of who God is. Because in his almightiness, he is eternal. He is omnipotent. He knows all. He sees all. He can do all. He is holy. He is sovereign. He is the beginning and the end. And there is nothing that is, is too hard for him. But he's a father with mercy and grace and compassion and love. And to have a biblical understanding of God, not just an understanding of God, because you can invent whatever God you want to invent, but to have a biblical understanding of a God, you have to bring together his almightiness, if you let me say that, and his fatherliness. And those two things have to come together. And we showed you last week several places in Scripture. Could have shown you a lot more of whether God is both Father and Almighty right in the same Scripture. And we said as a modern society, we have a really hard time holding that together. Either God is Almighty in all of His almightiness, or He's love, grace, compassion, mercy without the almightiness. Or he's almighty without the fatherliness. And both of those things is not the biblical God. You've got to hold that tension together. And then it's revealed in Scripture when there comes one by the name of Jesus who shows us what God is like. John 1.14 says he came full of grace and truth, which is a New Testament way of saying Father Almighty. Uh, it's really important. It's on, the, it's on the Internet if you want to hear that message. And we've got to grasp those two things together. To understand the biblical God. Now let me go a little bit farther in the Apostles' Creed today. I believe in God the Father. God the Father Almighty. Maker of heaven and earth. Maker of heaven and earth. The greatest ten words that have ever been put down on any sheet of paper. Greatest ten words of all of literature have to be. Genesis 1-1. There are no words that have had more of an impact on society. There have been no words that have caused more debate. There have been no words that have called more churches to split. There have been no words that people absolutely rebel against and will spend millions of dollars trying to prove or millions of dollars trying to disprove that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. An unbelievably important statement for what we understand of Christianity. In fact, you take that verse out of Scripture, and there's a whole lot of Christianity that does not make sense. The understanding that God is the Creator is vital. It's not a secondary doctrine, it's not a secondary teaching to us. The fact that God is creator, that he's outside of his creation, that he created out of nothing, that all that we have has been created by him. The Bible even says the work of his hands and the work of his fingers. All of that is absolutely vital to us understanding all the rest of the Bible because I have no trouble believing that Jesus, the incarnation of God, can come and turn water into wine. I have trouble believing that if I don't believe that there's a God, God the Son, outside of nature that does not have to adhere and belong to the rules of nature. Now, I know in the rules of nature, no one can turn water into wine. But there's someone outside of nature that created nature, that created everything that's not bound by the laws of nature. It's not bound by the laws of nature. 
I have no trouble believing that uh, Jesus can be resurrected from the dead, that we can be resurrected from the dead. I have, I have no trouble believing that if I believe in a God who's outside of nature. Now, if all that I think uh, uh, and can, can imagine in my mind is what's in nature and, and the laws of nature, then I have a real hard time on resurrection from the dead. I have a real hard time with parting of the Red Sea and all that kind of stuff. But if I believe Genesis 1-1, that there was a being pre-existent to time that had no beginning, that had no end, that spoke all of this into existence, that created out of absolutely nothing, then, man, Red Sea's no big deal. <laughs> Resurrection from the dead is no big deal. But you see, what we have our trouble in our, secular, in our secular societies is that that our scientists today, and this is not at all anything to put down scientists, only thing they can understand is what is in the natural, and, and, and they observe what is in the natural. So they have no concept of a virgin birth, because, and they shouldn't have any concept of a virgin birth. I have no concept of a virgin birth if, if my box is only open to the natural world. But if my box is open to a God who created the heaven and earth, who's outside, who can do things outside the flux and flow of nature, then my mind gets open to a virgin birth. And, and there, there's, there, we can make a really good argument that the rest of the Bible will collapse if you don't have Genesis 1-1. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker, maker of heaven and earth. It's interesting that the Hebrew word that we translate create in, in Genesis 1-1 is, is the Hebrew word barah. And that, there's 40 times that that shows up in the Old Testament. And every single time that that word shows up, it's God is the noun and barah is the verb. It's never Mark Barah's or Harold Barah's or Moses Barah. It's always God Barah. If they want to use something else for Moses created or Moses made something out of his hands, they'll use another verb. But there's only one verb that they use. They attach it to God, and it's the God who made it out of nothing. God is the only one that brought and that he made out of nothing. It's a tremendously important concept for you to be able to grasp and and I want to spend the rest of my time just saying what are those implications for you in your life what are the implications for you as you as you parent and as you go to work tomorrow morning and as you just live your life what is what is the implications of probably the oldest doctrine that you understand as a Christian because when you were very young they didn't teach you about the blood of Christ first they taught you that God was creator first that's what they taught you first. And, it, and, and a little child can be able to learn that God created the world. And he can somehow get his innocent uh, mind wrapped around that. And that's why the Bible talks about the faith of a little child. What are the implications of the fact that, that I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth? One of those, I think, is the fact that when we ponder a little bit on the fact that God is creator, God's just not judge, but he is judge, okay? He, he's, he's, just, he's just not uh, uh, sovereign in charge, of course, that he is. Uh, he's just not the ruler of all, the king of all, of course, he is. But he is the creator. How does that affect our lives? It, it ought to make me, when you delve into creation, it ought to make me look at him with even more wonder. 
and looking at God with wonder and looking at God with amazement is a very good thing to do. I worry sometimes as Christians, uh, those of us who have been Christians for a while, that we just have heard so many sermons and we've read the Bible through so many stuff and we've learned so much about God. We just get good old God and we just set him right here on our shoulder. And when you, when you delve a little bit into creation, your mouth drops open. When you study a, a little bit of creation, not only of the universe, but of the human bodies and all that God has created with the work of his hands and even the work of his fingers, Psalm 8 says, your mouth drops open in wonder and in amazement, and that is a very good thing for me and a very good thing for you. Those of us who live are 21st century people who are seeing things now that we never ever dreamed about. We just kind of got the whole thing figured out, and there needs to be a time that we just are in total wonderment of who God is. And creation is one of the ways to do that. It's interesting in the book of Job, I don't have time to give you all the context, but bottom line is Job is questioning God. And, 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 and he's just really doubting what God has said and what God has done. And he didn't think God should have done that. And who are you, God, to do this to me? I'm innocent. You should have never done that to me. And so he questions God and he doubts God and he questions God's authority. And he does that for many chapters in the Bible. And finally, God responds to him. And it's amazing to me that when God responds to him, he responds to him with four straight chapters of the fact that I am the creator God. When God's authority is questioned, when he is brought into doubt, his godness is brought into doubt, God, for four straight chapters, goes to Job and said, Job, I'm the creator God. And let me explain a little bit to you. First, uh, Job 38 here, Amy. And, he said, and, and, and God says to Job, he says, Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? All right, Job has just been questioning God. Quest, uh, who, who are you to do this to me, God? What gives you the right to do this to me, God? I'm innocent. And God comes back, and God's only defense is creation. And God says, where were you, Job? Where were you, Job, when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me, Job. Come on, tell me if, if, you, under, if you understand. Have you ever given orders to the morning or shown the dawn its place? Can you take them to their places? Do you know where the paths, the, know the paths to their dwellings? Have you entered the storehouses of the snow, Job? Or seen the storehouses of the hail, which I have reserved for times of trouble, for days of war and battle? He, 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 he's the, I don't want to say God has to defend himself, but he answers Job through creation. Every single thing for four straight chapters. Go read it yourself. He talks to Job about the marvels of creation. We continue here. Uh, what is the way to the place where the lightning is dispersed, Job? Or the place where the east winds are scattered over the whole earth? Do you know where the mountain goats give birth, Job? Do, do, you, do you watch when the doe bears her fawn? Do you count the months till they bear? Do you know the time that they give birth, Job, over and over again? Does the hawk take flight by your wisdom, Job? I guess God could have kind of defended himself anyway, but he chooses time and time and time again to hammer Job on creation. This is who I am, Job. What do we have next? Job then finally speaks in, in, in chapter 42. 
And Job goes, Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful, things too wonderful for me to know. I'm trying to tell you here that an understanding of God's creation helps in your wonder and in your awe of God. Are you bored with God? Have you been a Christian long enough to get bored with God? Another sermon, another Sunday, another song. You don't understand the biblical God. You don't understand the, the, the biblical God. Um, do you realize that do you realize that the sun is 93 million miles from Earth? And, and sometimes in the summer you can go out there and it feels so hot like the sun is right there on you. Do you realize it's 93 billion miles? Excuse me, with an M, million miles from Earth. I, I looked up on the Internet this morning. I took a trip halfway around the world this summer to Papua New Guinea. But it's a pretty fur piece, let me tell you. 8,917 miles. Uh, Papua New Guinea is halfway around the world. 8,000, according to Google, 8,917 miles from Columbus, Ohio to Papua New Guinea. The sun is 93 million miles away. And the sun is just close enough to us that we don't freeze to death and just far enough away from us that we don't burn up. I mean, um, secular, unbelieving astronomers will tell you that. Um, maybe this will turn your crank, maybe it won't. I don't know, okay? Imagine that the width of this paper is the distance between Earth and the sun, 93 million miles. And the, and, and the, and the, and the sun is a, is a star, it's the closest star, and, and it's the distance between Earth and the sun, the closest star, is 93 million miles, and the width of this paper represents that. All right, so you got the sun 93 million miles away. All right, if you want to go to the next star, now, we, it's hard for us to understand that because we look up and see the stars, and we see them, and it's like sometimes they're just really bright. Do you know how big the stars are? I mean, they're huge. And, and if, if, you, if this represents 93 million miles from Earth to the sun, lay it down right there. To go from the sun to the next star that we see, it's a stack of paper 70 feet in the air. That, that's, that, that's, that's what they know because of the Hubble telescope. It's a, it's a stack of papers, 70 feet in the air, to go from the sun, which is 93 million miles from us, to the next star. Go Google it. You can find out. David says he's created by the work of his hands. Even Psalm 8 says the work of his fingers. And our galaxy that... that Earth is located in, 
astronomers will tell you, are just one of the countless galaxies there are in the universe. We're a speck when you consider all of the universe. <laughs> Good old God, and put him right here on my shoulder, right here with me. <laughs> and you want that God to be your assistant. You want that God to be your consultant. You put that God on the shelf and pull him, out, pull him off the shelf when you got difficulty. You put a bumper sticker on your car that says, God is my co-pilot. <laughs> you don't have a biblical God. That God is a king. That God is a master of the universe. That God, that, that, that God demands the supreme place. And not just pull him off and put him out. I got in trouble now. I've, I've, my goodness, I've had a miscarriage. I better, better get closer to God. I, I, you know, I lost my job. I better start, start getting closer to God now. I mean, your, your brain is, is, is a whole bunch of countless number of cells that are all linked together by something called dendrites, okay? That's how, that's how they're all networked together, and that's how information goes from cell to cell to cell through all these dendrites. And so that's, all, that's how all the, 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 the communication goes and all the information goes in your brain, all those dendrites. And if you would, if you would, if, if you would take all the dendrites out, and out of my brain or out of your brain and lay them down side by side, uh, and, and make them as long as they are, it go all the way to the moon and back in your brain. You can Google that. That's, that's, that secular historians will tell you. I mean, I, that's, I just didn't think of that because it sounds good, okay? I mean, uh, secular people will tell you that. Your brain is stronger than the strongest supercomputer that we have. Your eye has two... Your eye has two million working parts. It's no wonder some of you got cataracts. Well, I, you know, I, I, you know, I, I don't, you know, I, I don't, I believe in God and all that, but I don't want to be a fanatic about it. You know, I don't, I don't, you know, I mean, you know, I, I you know, I got my Bible. It's on the coffee table. And... Are you, are you dealing with a biblical God? Who, who, who? Over and over again in Scripture says he created this wor world with the, by the work of his hands and even the work of his fingers. You know, it doesn't say that he created the world by his powerful right arm, which it says it in other places, talking about God's power. It says his, his powerful arm is not shortened. It says when he created the world, he did it by the work of his hands. Even Psalm 8, the work of his fingers. He's an artist. He's a designer. Understanding God as creator will give you something that you and I desperately need. A wonder of God. 
Because I, I'm telling you, man, I'm telling you, any Christian in here will tell you. One of the ways the devil tempts us is, is that, you know, we just get really accustomed to God. Get good old God and put him right here on my shoulder. Theologians that make their living in the ivory tires of seminary will tell you there's a great danger in familiarity with God. Got it? Getting too familiar with God. It's a marvelous discipline to stay in wonder of him. Another implication of God as creator God is evangelism. It absolutely is evangelism. As I said earlier, you introduce your children to spiritual things. You introduce your children to Christianity, not through the cross of Jesus Christ. You don't talk to your children about, try to explain to them the blood of Jesus Christ and crucifixion on the cross. You're smarter than that. You don't try to explain it to a two or three-year-old that. Where do you enter the child's understanding of spiritual things and of Christianity and of theology? You start with Genesis 1-1. That's where you start with. It's the first verse you have the kids memorized. And little kids get that. So as you start your children on their spiritual journey, you start it with Genesis 1-1. You start it with creation because they can grasp it. They can grasp it. And Christopher was, Christopher was small and, and, you know, came a time where he learned that his skin is a little darker than other people's and he kind of was wondering, you know, where this dark skin came from and we told him, what did we tell him? Well, you know, you know, your mom and dad got together and you know, you know what we told him? God gave you that. And that's the way he'd answer today. Levi was, was when he was little, he just had huge, his eyes were bright and Huge, and people say, where'd you get those bright eyes? And we taught him to respond, God gave me those. Sometimes he'd say, well, it's my, I eat a lot of carrots. Sometimes. <laughs> Genesis 1-1 has tremendous implications for evangelism. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. What's, what's the question that everybody asks about those little people on some island in some country we can't even pronounce that have not yet been reached by Christian missionaries? What's going to happen to them if Jesus is, the, is the, the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except to Jesus? What's going to happen to those people that have never had a Christian missionary go to them, that have never heard the gospel of Christ? Romans 1 gives you that answer. We have it up here. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Next slide. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. Next slide. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. God says, I made it plain to them for what I've, by what I've made. The only thing they have to do is look up in the sky and be able to see 
and think about it for about a nanosecond and realize there has to be some being behind all of this. And God says, on that day, men, obviously men and women, will be without excuse because you've got enough sense to look up in the sky and look at the sun. You've got enough sense that when you hear that your eye has uh, two million working parts to it, when you know the sun is 93 million um, miles away from us and that's just a speck of all the universe, this verse says, God's made it plain to you. And how will that little people living on some little island in some country we can't pronounce, how will they be judged on that day? On their understanding of creation. Because they can look up and they, don't, they won't understand anything about the nation of Israel and the God of Israel, but they can look up in the sky and says there must be some being that did all of this. Go back Go back to Romans 1.18, the very start of that. The, this, is, this is a tough verse here. Isn't it? The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of people who... Man, I believe this with all my heart. People get on me about this, but I believe this with all my heart. You got a lot of people that say, well, I just, I just can't believe. I have too many intellectual problems. and I just, you know, there's too many questions. A bull. who suppress the truth. And while they suppress the truth with their godlessness, that doesn't mean they're horrible Adolf Hitler, but you know what? They know if they open the door to God, if they open the door to God, they open it to an eternal being who has created them, and if he has created them, he has rights and ownership on their life. And they'll do anything to fight against that. And that's why the secular unbeliever fights hard and tooth and nail against Genesis 1-1, and they suppress the truth that is right there. Do you know what Charles Darwin, the writer of The Origin of the Species, where all the evolution and stuff started and came from, he said, you can go read it in The Origin of the Species. You can Google it and find it just like I did. It says, he says when he looked at the eye and the miracle of the human eye, he says, I have to admit, evolution seems absurd. But he, he, he couldn't get to any other explanation. When he looked at what was made, what God made plain to him, he will be without excuse. And he even admitted it. In the book where all the evolutionary theory has come from, he even admitted in that book, he says, it, frankly, it seems absurd to think that an eye could have evolved that way. Friends, I believe this to be true, that, that if, if, you will never, if you will never see yourselves as a creature who is responsible to a creator, then you'll never be able to make the jump to see yourself as a sinner in need of a Savior. I, I believe that with all my heart. Because if you never see yourself accountable as a creature to a creator, then you'll never be able to feel accountable for your sins and you need a Savior. The 
doctrine of creation, maker of heaven and earth in the Apostles' Creed, has everything to do with evangelism. God, God is such a better evangelist than we are. <laughs> he's just made all this kind of stuff, and he says in his word he's made it plain to people so they will be without excuse. But he says, you know what? They suppress the truth. They suppress the truth. <laughs> I've tried to paint you a picture of God as creator. This is not a secondary doctrine. This, this is a vital doctrine. It's fascinating. When God opens up his word, he doesn't open it up with any little easy teaching to comprehend. He just hits you smack in the face at the very start with creation. <laughs> It's like, if you're going to come into God's Word, you've got to go through creation. That's the door that gets you into His Word. And if ever you're going to make it to Jesus Christ, you've got to go through creation. And in Revelation chapter 4, when they're, showing a pic when they're showing a picture of worship in heaven, the worship is first of all to God as Creator before it is to God as Jesus as Savior. You go look at it. Worthy, worthy, worthy is the Lord God Almighty who has created all things. You know, so everybody, <laughs> this kills me. Everybody comes to Genesis 1 and 2 and they want to know whens and hows and dates and 6,000 years and 60 million years. And it's, it's not have anything to do with that. Genesis 1 and 2 is about God. God is on the move. God has created something. And that's what Genesis 1 and 2 is screaming to you. And you can go spend $30 million on a creation museum, and that's all well and good. But the Bible says you will never, ever believe this doctrine except through faith. It's a faith statement that you make. And, and the world may have been created 6,000 years ago or 60 billion years ago. I don't give a rip. It means nothing to me. It has nothing to do to make me a better husband. It has nothing to do with making me a better father. It has nothing to do with making me live a Christ-like life. And why should I devote my life to proving something that God has not made plain to us? Now you can be John Hagee and you can put all the charts and graphs on the back here. On the... You got God figured out. So when we come to the talk of creation, we don't need to talk about the, the, the science or the biology because God hasn't spoken about it. And if he hasn't spoken about it, we must not need to know those answers. But so many people, you know, they'll fight and they'll fight six literal days. And it may, be, it may have been six literal days. I don't know. Young earth, I don't care. Creation is about God. And he's done something. And that's just like us as human beings. We come to the Bible and we miss the whole because we're trying to find the parts. And, and we go to Genesis 1 and 2. We try to find biology and science and dates and times. And, and we miss the whole that God is on the scene. That God has done something. That's just like us as human beings, to miss the whole because we get bogged down in the parts. 
We do that as human beings. Your life is full of parts, and they're not bad. They're good parts. You're driving your kids to swimming lessons. That's a good part. You're doing homework with your kids. That's a good part. You've got to go get groceries. That's a good part. You're changing your oil. That's a good part. There's all kinds of, we're drowning in parts. But there's a hole to this thing. And you don't live your life for the parts. You live your life for the whole. And when you come to Genesis 1 and 2, you don't look for the parts. You look for the whole. And the whole is God has created. That part and the whole thing, that's why you come to church. Because, as I said, you're drowning in parts. Your whole life is parts. And they're good parts. It's okay. They're good parts. They're, they're necessary parts. You've got to do those parts to live, but it's not the center. It's not the whole. And you come to church. One of the reasons you come to church is to recalibrate yourself to the center. is to recalibrate yourself to the whole because you're drowning in parts, aren't you? You're drowning in parts. And what's the whole? You seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you as well. How awful to spend your life on the margins, to spend your life on the parts and miss the whole. And right smack dab in the middle of that hole is the cross of that hole is the cross of Jesus Christ. Psalm 8 David speaking of the wonders of creation in Psalm 8, verse 3 and 4. David says, When I consider your heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. When I consider the work of creation, who am I to think that you would have died for me? that you would have sent your son Jesus. With all that you got going on, trying to be able to balance this whole world and telling the sun to rise and the moon to go rise and go down, all that you've got going on, who am I? Who am I that you are mindful of me? You know who he is? He's a father. And he's got you on his mind. And he sent his son Jesus to die for you. And that's why every single Sunday, every single Sunday, we remember the death, crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Because that's a huge part of this center and whole that we're talking about. Don't live your life for the parts. Don't come to Genesis 1 looking for times and dates. Come to Genesis 1 looking for creator God. Our servers are coming to the table. My prayer is that when you come today, you'll recalibrate yourself. You will recalibrate yourself because all this week you've been drowning in parts.
and you recalibrate yourself to the whole, to the center. Father, I know there's no way that I've done this justice who in me and my finitude can be able to try to explain you and your infinite being. Father, I pray for us that we as a church will be in wonder of you. Just be in wonder of who you are. And all of this that we see of creation will not become old hat to us. Our, our mouths will drop open for the marvelous earth, the good earth that you have given us to enjoy. Help us now as we come to the table. Center us once again. In Jesus' name, amen.